Good morning and welcome again. I don't think I introduced myself earlier. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you. Happy Father's Day. Um, a few announcements before we begin. Uh, baptism, we will actually have baptism multiple times over the next several weeks. So if you've made uh, a recent commitment for Christ or uh, maybe, maybe years ago and you've never been baptized, we would love uh, to, talk, to talk with you about that and get you signed up for baptism. So um, please let us know. We will be doing that again several times in the next several weeks. So uh, please contact Autumn, the church office, so that we can get all that lined up for you. There's also a form on our website that you can fill out that's a baptism request form. This uh, next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have a Next Steps class. So if you've been visiting for one week or, or six months or six years and you've never joined and you're interested in what it might look like to be a part of Malvern Hill, I'd invite you to come. Uh, I'll meet with you next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We'll meet right here in the sanctuary, and depending on how many of y'all show up, we'll figure out wh what room we'll choose. But uh, we do that because there have been times when there was four, and there have been times when there was 24. So we'll, uh, I try to not put us in too big of a space. And then finally, VBS is this week. Pre-registration closes this afternoon at 2 o'clock. So if you want to register online and sort of expedite the process for tomorrow and make it a lot easier for our registration people, which they would really appreciate, uh, register online. You can do that at malvernhill.org. Uh, but the pre-registration will close at 2 o'clock. So if you don't do it online by 2 o'clock this afternoon, you're going to have to wait and do it tomorrow evening in the heat. So uh, we're trying to help you, trying to keep you from sweating. So, all right, we're in Psalm 37. It's Father's Day, and for those of you that have been a part of our church for a lot of years, you know that those Father's Day sermons have gotten a little bit rough through the years. We, we, we've, uh, we've often uh, called you men up. I'm hoping this year that this one is not one of those that goes down in infamy. But... Uh, this morning, we, we want to wrestle with a question, what is a Christian's role in culture? And it is appropriate that we would have this sermon on Father's Day because we need to ask the question also, what is a dad's role in the home? What is a father's role in culture? What's it look like to be a man of God in a world that increasingly has very little space for the things of the Lord? If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read just five verses. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act. Join with me as we pray. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us today. Father, if there be any sin within us, I pray that you would expose it to us, that we may confess it to you. pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that your word would take root. That, Father God, rather than always considering how it is that we might speak to others, that, Lord God, we may ask the question, how are you speaking to us? Lord God, how is it that we might change? pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What is a Christian's role in culture? What if I told you the most important thing that a Christian does in culture is mind their own business? I tried to find like a, a real uh, pithy saying about that, but I couldn't find any. So if you got one, tell me afterward. But really and truly, most of the time, as a follower of Jesus, the most important thing you need to do is mind your own business. Tend to your own potatoes. I saw that somewhere, but really not that good. So tend to your knitting. I don't know who said that. It wasn't very manly, so I decided not to use it for Father's Day. But uh, some of you men may knit, and if that's you, that's fine. I'm not judging any of you. 
But what's it look like for us to sort of mind our own business as followers of Jesus? The question of how Christians should engage in culture is not a new question. We can trace it back to the, to the early parts of the Christian church. As a matter of fact, you could look at the earliest Christian apologists, and they were engaging with those in authority saying, please allow us to live without persecution. We can go and look at Augustine's masterpiece work that if you want to read, you should just get the Cliff's Notes versions, but the city of God that is, that is Augustine's real masterpiece advocating for the Christian tradition within Rome. In 1951, H. Richard Niebuhr pointed out five ways that the church could engage in culture. The church could be against culture, and we see this uh, in the ascetic tradition or, or maybe among the Amish. So these are those who reject culture outright. The church could... Um, could accommodate culture in such a way that Christ becomes a part of culture. This is what we see in, in classic liberalism, where the church and the culture are not expected to look very different. The church could see Christ above culture, such that secular culture is pretty good, but Christ and the influence of Christians come along to augment it and to make it better. So Christ stands above culture, but Christ is, is uh, but the culture is not necessarily bad. This is where you might hear a phrase that, that I use pretty regularly, that all truth is God's truth, for instance. So this is one of those places where we see that there's a lot of good things in the world. This is going to be a classic Roman Catholic Thomist tradition. Another view is Christ and culture and paradox. And this is a rejection of some of the culture and embracing other parts. This is what we see in fundamentalism. This is where we see people that go, well, we got this other thing, but we've got to completely reject all of that over there. And the fifth approach is to see Christ as the redeemer of culture. And this is where I find myself more times than not, that culture is fallen as a result of sin that's come into the world, but Christ has come to redeem the culture. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new, and Jesus is working to remake this world through his people who have been called out into this place. You know, though, regardless of where you come down, the most important question is not how does Christ impact culture, but honestly, how does Christ impact and change you? You say, Craig, that's kind of self-centered. Well, it is, but I just want you to know that you can't hope to have any significant impact on the world around you until Jesus has had a significant impact on you. I brought a couple of illustrations this morning to kind of help us to think through it. I think one of the dangers that we have is a lot of times we tend to, to see our Christian responsibilities sort of as, as binoculars. And, and we spend a whole lot of time looking at the world around us. I'm constantly looking for a fault out there somewhere that I might be able to engage with. Folks, it doesn't seem that bad when we preach it and we go, we got to look at all the sin and fix it. But it seems kind of weird when we talk about binoculars and we think about our neighbors and we're spying in on them so we can figure out exactly what they're doing wrong in their life so we can fix it. Another thought is not that we would see our Christian responsibility primarily through binoculars, but first and foremost, our Christian responsibility would begin with a mirror. Before I focus my attention on what's happening out there, I might take the time to consider what is it that the Lord would be saying to me. Rather than looking for the speck in my brother's eye, I may find the log in my own. This morning, as we consider a Christian's role in culture, 
I want you to know that my greatest concern is not that the church is losing its influence in culture. Boy, we hear people jumping up and down about that, don't we? My greatest concern is that Christ is not sufficiently influencing the church. People talk about revival and reformation, but it will not come to the culture until it visits the house of God. Until the people of God spend sufficient time looking into the mirror and saying, Lord God, change me. We should stop pointing our fingers outside the walls of God's church. We spent so much time with our binoculars looking at our neighbors and our pop culture and our politics, but we just haven't spent any time in the mirror. We're trying to preach to the culture, but I wonder how often we're actually allowing Christ to preach to us. Yesterday I was at a camp with one of my kids and I got home. What was interesting is I was telling them about everything that happened. One of my other sweet children said, why is your head so red? <sighs> Let me tell you what happened. They said, well, your head is red. Why are you so sunburned? I looked in the mirror and you know what? I, I was like, well, apparently the biggest thing that happened is that this impacted me. It changed me physically. Folks, we're trying to preach to the culture, but how often are we allowing Christ to preach to us? What is your role in culture? What if your role in the culture is to be like Jesus? The psalmist had something to say to us this morning about what it looks like to be God's people in the world around us. The first thing the psalmist says right here in Psalm 37 verse 1 is, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. What is your role in the culture? First thing is, don't worry. Do not worry. Much of the angst in Christians today is, you ready for this? Sinful. Sinful. That's exactly right. Y'all are wringing your hands. I say, y'all, let me just say, let me look in my mirror. We are wringing our hands, fretting, worried about all the things that are happening. What about the government? What about the president? What about the Congress? What about popular music? What about those kids driving around in those squatted trucks? For the record, when I say keep your nose in other, out of other people's business, if they're trying to do that to their truck, get your nose in their business, okay? They need a role model, you hear me? I spent some time in Tennessee this week, and I didn't see one of those things the whole time I was there. I crossed the state line in North Carolina, and one almost hit me. It just hurt my heart. Moving on. We spend our life worrying about what somebody else has done. And the psalmist says, fret not yourself over evildoers. But Craig, what would Jesus do? Y'all, I want to remind you, Jesus lived in a time filled with lots of evildoers. A lot. Remember, they actually killed him. Jesus did not run to Caesar's place and try to stick his nose in the Roman government. Jesus didn't spend a great deal of time with the Jewish ruling class. Jesus spoke to the people of God and said, repent. Jesus also had something to say about worry. Y'all remember that one? He says, how many of you by worrying can add a single minute, a single hour, a single second to your life? 
Jesus said that worry, you ready for this? It's an ugly word. It's sinful. And it doesn't matter how much you try to sanctify it. It still is sinful. It doesn't really matter what you're worrying about. When we choose to worry, what we say is, God can't handle this, so I need to borrow some of God's trouble on my own shoulders and handle it myself. God, I got this. God, I don't really trust that you can handle this. Let me take this off of your hands. The psalmist says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. He goes that far too, doesn't he? Don't envy those who are doing the wrong things. Can I just be, let's be real ugly. If we spend enough time looking in the mirror. The bad thing about mirrors is this. Like on Sunday mornings I get up. No one else is awake. I get up. This morning I woke up super early because some sweet angel in my neighborhood has cats. And those cats were fighting outside my window at 4.30 this morning, and I, I, I didn't pray for those people. I should. But then I didn't go back to sleep. I woke up, and, and I, truthfully, I, I woke up. I was burdened for this message this morning. But I get out of bed on Sunday mornings. It's dark everywhere. I go down. I, I get my coffee. But I'm, I'm usually in a hurry on Sunday mornings. And the good thing is, like, I, 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 I look to make sure that my hair is remotely in place. It's dark enough in the bedroom that I don't even know if my shirt is ironed when I put it on. So it's a real blessing to me. If I show up and I look like a wrinkled mess, I can plead the fifth. I had no idea. But if you spend enough time looking in the mirror, do you know what? You can find an imperfection somewhere. You'll find something that's wrong. You'll find that pore that's a little larger than the others. You might discover that something's out of balance. You spend enough time looking at the pictures that people take of you and you go, wait a minute, I remember this time last year I had more hair. I was cleaning up some pictures on my phone just yesterday and I came across an event that we had done here at the church. Y'all remember several years ago we raised a whole bunch of money for Lottie Moon and y'all put me in a dunk tank? Y'all remember that? Do y'all remember what it's like to have deacons who love you so much that they filled that dunk tank up with hot water? Carl Cambites, I still love you for that wherever you are. It was in December, and it was like a sauna. I could have lived in that dunk tank for a while, and I'm grateful. But I, I, I saw that video on my phone, and I saw me climbing up out of that tank. And I was like, look at that. Hadn't gained any weight. Good job, Craig. And then I turned around on the video, and I had this big, massive beard that was red all over. There was not one gray hair to be found. Y'all have done this to me. You're ruining me. You know, if you spend enough time staring into a mirror, you're going to find something that's wrong. You know, that's why we don't like mirrors a lot of times. That's why it's a lot easier for me to fret and worry with the world out there because if I turn that attention around, then guess what happens? I, I begin to notice there may be something in my own life that needs to be dealt with. People of God, hear me say this. Part of the reason that we spend so much time worrying about the world outside is because we're terrified that everybody's going to find out about the world that's inside of us. But revival begins at the house of God, among the people of God. How much of your life is spent worrying about what somebody else said or the evil being perpetrated on the other side of the country? Can worry at a single day? Folks, so often we worry about things that don't even concern us, that have absolutely no control over us and over which we have absolutely no control. Early in the pandemic, I, I actually fared pretty well through the pandemic. Some people really fretted and worried. I spent about a week and a half really concerned about it, maybe two weeks. I mean, I, I really did. It, it got inside my head. 
Things went crazy. Kids came home. We, you know, we're trying to make sure that everything's going to happen here. And it got in my head about two weeks. And somewhere along the way, it finally clicked was, was this. Craig, what in the world can you do about it anyway? I remember I looked at Angela and said, honey, I can't do anything about this. I'm going to bed. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to go to bed. When I, how many of you can add anything to your life by worrying? Don't worry and don't allow worry to dominate your life. It will ruin you and it is a sin. So the first thing about our role in culture is don't worry about it. Trust the Lord to handle it. Second thing, do all the good you can. Roy Sullivan was struck seven different times by lightning. He is the Guinness World Record holder for lightning strikes. So over a period of years as an adult, he was struck seven different times. And if you're thinking you might be tougher than him anyway, let me tell you what happened the seventh time. He was out in a boat. He got struck by lightning in the middle of the lake. He made his way back to shore so that he could get some help. And as he's crawling to his truck, he was attacked by a bear that stole his fish. And he fought the bear off with a stick. You're not as tough as Roy Sullivan, okay? And neither am I. You're not as manly as him, Dad. You can go home and tell your kids how great of a dad you are. Listen, I don't know what kind of dad he was, but Roy Sullivan is more of a man than you are, so just deal with it. You know that you don't have to do everything, and you don't have to do everything well. But the Lord says what? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. When asked about the greatest commandment, do you remember what Jesus said? Is he fed, did he say fight a good fight against secular culture? No, Jesus didn't say that at all. He said, you know what the most important thing is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said the second thing is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We get so consumed with yelling at those with whom we disagree that we neglect to pray and love. When's the last time that you sought out somebody that disagreed with you vehemently and you sought them out just to shake their hand or to hug their neck or to say something kind or generous to them? When's the last time you sought out somebody that was very different than you and you sought them out not so that you could yell at them or you could tell them how wrong they were, you just sought them out because you thought it might be appropriate to establish a friendship. I had a phone call with a guy uh, two weeks ago. Me and this guy are about this far apart on most things you could imagine. But I called him and I said, Brother, I'm pretty sure that even though we disagree about a whole lot, we, we agree about more than we disagree. We spent about 30 minutes talking about the things that we agreed about. About four or five months ago, I did a podcast with one of my college roommates. He's, a, uh, he's an ordained uh, Presbyterian USA pastor down in Charleston. He's also a doctor. We had a long-ranging conversation about all the things that we disagree about. And we disagree about a lot of things. Politically, he's far left of me. Theologically, he's far to the left of me. But you know what? I love him. And if he calls me today and says, I need you, I will drive to Charleston as soon as I finish here because he is my friend. I still remember that I was the first person he told after he, bought his, after he got his wife's engagement ring. I cherish that moment in my life. He and I disagree about so many things in the world. But rather than allow our disagreement to control and drive the conversation, I love him anyway because he is my neighbor and Jesus says I am to love him. Am I honest with him? Yeah. Do I tell him when we disagree? You better believe it. We have hard conversations about why he's wrong and I'm right. See what I did there? 
But you know, we can have that conversation. I can still hug his neck when we finish. You know what I know about him? I know he votes very different than I do. And sometimes it makes me angry because he votes different than I do. Should it make me angry? Probably not. But do you know why he votes differently than I do? Because he shares the same concern for the poor and the disenfranchised that I share. And he believes that there's a different way to resolve that situation than I do. I think he is as wrong as he can be. But when we begin to talk about the things that drive us, we're driven by the same kinds of things. Christians, listen to me. Please stop yelling at the world. Jesus said we need to mind some of our own business. Fret not yourself over evildoers. Instead, do all the good that you can. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus was always invited to the parties? Do people want you in their life? Do non-believers want you in their life? Do people that aren't a part of this church want you in their life? If not, ask yourself why. It might be that you're just not a fun guy, right? But have you spent so much time yelling that you, you forgot how to love somebody that might be a little bit different than us? We get so consumed. But Jesus said we are to love our neighbor is ourself. But who is your neighbor? It's an interesting question that Jesus answered. Well, y'all remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan, remember there's, there's, there's the, the, all the things that happen, and somebody says, who's your neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. Now, we don't fully appreciate the story of the Good Samaritan because we don't really have anybody in our world that exactly fits in that Samaritan mold. Our, our, we, we live in, in, in a melting pot of the world. There, there aren't necessarily identified groups at least not anymore that are universally sort of hated or disregarded or avoided so let me just say that in your own life when you think about who a Samaritan would be it's whoever you would describe as those people right and we all have some of those people in our life well Jesus said that for everybody but those people whoever that those people is they're your neighbor as well that those people that disagrees with everything you do, they're, they're your people as well. Those people that make fun of your belief in Jesus Christ, that's your neighbor as well. Those people whose sexual morality is so far away from yours, they're your neighbor as well. Those people who hate the people that you love, they're your people as well. They're your neighbors. Ready for this? Those people that are on that other cable news channel that you don't watch. I know, but watch they're your neighbor as well they are why because that's who the samaritans were the jews hated them don't miss it there was a visceral hate and jesus says that samaritan is your neighbor What's it look like for we as Christians to live in culture? What's our role? First, don't worry. Second, do all the good that we can. And that means loving people so much that the world might not agree with everything we're about, but they can't help but acknowledge that we are incredibly loving people. Do all the good that you can. Care for the poor. Pursue justice and mercy. Share the gospel. But let's focus on doing good. What if, as followers of Jesus, we were known for our prayer and humility. What would that be like? And not for our yelling and anger. What if we were... I almost yelled right then, but I see how I pulled that in? I don't want to be known as one of those people. What if rather than being known as a political voting block, 
we were known as people of humility and prayer and gospel witness. What if? What if nobody said, oh, those people fit into this particular political party, but instead they said, those people are different from the world around them because they seem to love everybody with the love of Christ. I'm going to try and not yell. It's going to be really hard for me, so just hold on. So so here we go. I've had people say, see, I'm, I'm bracing myself. I've had people say, but if Jesus lived in this time, it would be different. Holy cow. No. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you hear me? The Jesus that we read about in God's word is the only one. And he will never, ever sit in the Oval Office. He came to transform the world. And he died on the cross to do that. Because his primary goals were never political or sociological or cultural. His primary goals were the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls. He's bringing his kingdom. He's invited us to be a part of it. In other words, what if, what if we spent time removing the log from our own eye rather than the speck from our brother? I love that. Like, I'm, I'm, how many of y'all are hunters? Raise your hand. Okay, now, now watch. I want you to look around. You see all those people? They're gear junkies. Just, just, they don't even have to tell you they are, okay? All of us are. We all love our toys. How many, how many of you fishermen are in here have gotten more toys? That, yeah, I know. you got four, 437 fishing rods. And I can, I know, I know how y'all are. Y'all are like that. But you know the great thing about it, I, I love, I love binoculars. Like they, they stay in my truck. Um, please don't break into my truck and steal them if you're watching online. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you do, I'm sure somebody here will replace them with a nicer pair, right? Amen, amen. Anybody? Please, somebody. All right. But, you know, I, inevitably, every year during deer season, this will happen to me. I will pull out my binoculars to watch something, okay? And it'll be something way off. Uh, I hunt across this field pretty regularly. It has um, uh, some, um, some hawks that work it and, and, and hunt for rabbits and mice in there. And I'll be totally honest. I can sit across this field and get so consumed watching these hawks come in and out. Inevitably, I have sat there with my binoculars and watched a hawk only... To be scared and realize that there was a deer standing beside me while I'm looking off at something in the distance. I'm not the world's best deer hunter, in case you couldn't tell. It's my ADD. In other words, I'm pretty good at finding that speck over there, but sometimes the log walks up beside me and I don't even see it. Do all the good you can. A lot of the good that we're going to do is going to be the good that's right around us. And we're going to need to put our binoculars down and stop looking for everybody else's problems. We're going to need to look in the mirror and say, Lord God, show me what I need to change about me so that I can make a difference in the world around me. That's part of our role in culture. Do all the good that we can. All of it. And and look, what about all the good you can't do? We just got to be okay with that. We can't fix it all. Roy Sullivan is manlier than you. He accomplished more. He got struck by lightning seven times. You're not going to pull that off. God's called you to be right here and do all the good that you can. Third, this morning, delight in God's goodness. 
Delight in God's goodness. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight. Do you see that? Christians are supposed to be happy. Christians are supposed to be happy. We follow the Lord not out of drudgery, but out of joy. What happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord? He gives us the desires of our heart. Folks, this isn't, this isn't a prosperity gospel message. And first, I'm not yelling. We don't, when a verse doesn't say what I want it to say, we don't just ignore it because it doesn't fit within my theological spectrum. We go, oh, maybe my spectrum is wrong or maybe I've misunderstood that word. This is God's word. And he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. So first off, delight, be joyful, enjoy Jesus and he will grant to you the desires of your heart. Why? Because when we delight in him, he changes us. Angel and I just celebrated an anniversary on Friday. And after all these years together, you know, we tend to desire the same things. Not always. I mean, you know, there's, there's always a place. But over, like big picture, we, we have the same desires. Why? Because I've brainwashed her. No. Because, because she feeds me and I will do whatever it does. I will work for food. No, but because as we delight in each other, our hearts are, are welded and melted and mended together. I, I want what she wants, and, and she wants what I want. When we spend time with the Lord, God is remaking our heart. But Christian, hear me. We are to delight in the Lord. This is, this is why I'm not a fundamentalist. This is one of the big reasons. Because so often there's so much anger. And the Bible says that we are to be joyful. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We delight ourselves in Jesus. We spend our time enjoying Jesus. Watch this. When I spend my time enjoying Jesus, I find it harder to be angry at everything else. Well, Craig, if Jesus lived here. Y'all, when we say that, we assume that Jesus lived in this perfect, like, baptized, like, beautiful setting that everything was perfect and wonderful and nothing was ever wrong. Have y'all turned on the news to see what happens regularly in and around Jerusalem, Judea? Have you looked at that? It's a, an area even today filled with constant conflict and ideological struggle. The same thing was true in Jesus' day. It was God's place then and God's people were there. But folks are continuing and have for all of history to argue about what does that mean and what does it look like and who's in charge. There was rampant sinfulness then just as there is here today. And Jesus lived in that place and yet Jesus was regularly happy. Well, Craig, how do you know? Because people were always around him. Nobody goes and hangs out with somebody that drags them down. Delight in God's goodness. Delight yourself in the Lord. You know, I struggle enough with anger on my own. without seeking opportunities and defenses to be angry in Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord. 
and he will grant you the desires of your heart. What is a Christian's role in culture? I'm really not trying to be funny when I say that more than anything, it's just mind your own business. There's going to be opportunities and responsibilities for us to speak prophetically into culture. But it's not every day. And folks, beyond the opportunities to speak into culture, we just don't need to be constantly angry because the culture doesn't look the way I want it to. And then watch this. Hold on to something. You might want to hold on to somebody else. What you want the culture to look like might not be what God's vision is for the culture. There's a whole lot of people that want to run back to Mayberry because it was such a good time back then. It wasn't unless you were middle class white American. What do you want the culture to look like? What's it look like when Jesus shapes our culture? We might be less angry. We might be less polarized. We might find a way to love our neighbor as ourself. We might look a lot like Jesus. In conclusion, really the question comes down to this. Where are you focused? When these are my primary tools of Christian engagement, all I see is everybody else's problems. All I see is everybody else's mess. All I see is everybody else's business. I've got a, we have our, our house faces the road. Obviously, we have neighbors across the road. Sloan is a nightmare with a flashlight. Have y'all ever hunted with a kid in the dark or just been in the dark with a kid with a flashlight? You know how a kid talks to you with a flashlight like this? <laughs> yes, Daddy, I can't see for days. I like a good flashlight. I, I really have a problem. I like a lot of good flashlights. But a while back, Sloan had a flashlight. He's just playing. He's not doing anything wrong. But I realized that like, he's got this super bright flashlight. And what he's actually doing is shining it into the neighbor's house across the road. He said, dude, you got to stop. They're going to arrest us. What am I doing? Just imagine if they'd have looked out and Sloan's holding a flashlight like Brooklyn's there with the binoculars. <laughs> Angela's standing there with the phone. Did you get him yet? I'm sorry, honey, wherever you are. We spend time in God's Word. It has a, it has a way of refocusing us. Are, are, are you using these binoculars and looking at the world around you and saying, I caught you? Or have you found your vision adjusted just a little higher? Perhaps asking, Lord, how now shall we live? This week you're going to read Psalm 51, which teaches us what the Lord desires of us. A broken and a contrite heart. And if a broken and a contrite heart doesn't fit within your primary definition of what it looks like to live for the Lord in the 21st century, then you need to put down your binoculars. You need to pick up your mirror. 
Because if a broken and contrite heart doesn't fit within your primary definition of what it looks like to follow Jesus, your definition is wrong. And it's been shaped more by the culture around you. That's right, the culture that you're fighting against has shaped you rather than God's Word. And so this morning, as we close, what is the Christian's role in culture? The Christian role in culture is to look like Jesus. It's to look like Jesus. To act like Jesus. To speak like Jesus. Do you? Do you? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was an enemy to the religious establishment. He was a savior to all who would repent and believe. The call to follow Jesus was a call to die, never to win, never to live. Come and die. The disciples said, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you really, that's a little strong. Jesus, you're going to turn some people away with that. Jesus, you need a better PR guy. It's a funny thing. Jesus was only concerned with his relationship to the people around him. He invited them to come. So this morning, I invite you. It's Father's Day. So dads, let me just say this first. Let me ask you, do you represent Christ well to your children, to your wives, to your family? Do they see you looking like Jesus when you're not here? If not, I would invite you to come today and pray and repent. Perhaps you're here today, though. Mom, dad, boy, girl, whomever you may be. You say, Craig, I, I know that I don't look like Jesus because I don't know Jesus. Like, I hear what you're saying, and I recognize that I have been angry. I recognize I've been worried. I recognize that I've been all of those things. And I've been all those things because I don't know this Jesus of whom you speak. But I'd like to come and lay down all my anger, all my worry, all my fears. I would like to know what it is to have the abundant life that Jesus promised. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when we do, I want to invite you to come. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Perhaps you'd like to come and just pray today. Probably should have preached this sermon like, you know, the end of November. So we could all be reminded when we were so angry coming through election seasons. There's so much more. Would you give it to Jesus today? Would you stop worrying so much about the culture? Start worrying about how it is that Jesus can change you. And how you might be a catalyst for change in the lives of others by living a life that looks like Jesus.
I want to invite you when we stand and sing to come. If I could pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to pray around this altar, perhaps you're right there where you are and you'd like to pray at your seat or you just respond by singing praises this morning. However it is that the Lord leads you, I encourage you to come. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for Jesus Christ who died. Father, I pray that we'd take a long look in the mirror of your word. Show us where, Father God, we have failed. Show us, Lord God, how we may need to change. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing?